Hi, I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation, and this is one of several special podcasts that the Center's doing with the support and assistance of the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges, which is hosting its 74th conference this month in New York City, uh, July 2011. I'm speaking with a Judge John Leventhal, who's currently an Associate Justice of the New York State Appellate Division, and who, before he was appointed to the Appellate Division by the Governor, founded and served for many years as the presiding judge of the Brooklyn Domestic Violence Court, which was, in fact, the first felony domestic violence court in the country. And I'm also with Jennifer White, who's an attorney with Futures Without Violence, which was uh, recently changed its name from the Family Violence Prevention Fund. And uh, that organization is based in San Francisco, and it's dedicated to preventing domestic dating and sexual violence. Thank you both for being uh, with me today. Um, Thank you for having us. Thank you. And um, today we're going to focus on elder abuse. So um, I thought, and you're both presenting on that uh, topic uh, here at the conference. Um, I, uh, elder abuse, I've, I've heard a lot about recently. Uh, it seems to be in the news more, and it's certainly a lot in more in um, conversations among judicial practitioners and law enforcement. But I think a lot of people may not fully understand what the term means. And so, Ms. White, I thought maybe we could start off by you just defining elder abuse. What what does the term refer to exactly? Sure. A lot of times when you hear elder abuse, particularly in the media, they're referring to strictly financial exploitation. But what we know is that um, more common is abuse that's perpetrated usually um, by somebody with whom an elder has some expectation of trust, so usually a family member or a caregiver. Um, and includes any of several forms of maltreatment, um, including physical and sexual violence, emotional and psychological abuse, um, including also financial exploitation. And do we have a sense of how widespread this is? I mean, just because people are talking about it more, you hear about it more, is that because there's a greater incidence of it or a greatest awareness of it? Well, for one thing, because the baby boomer population in 2006 hit 75 million turned 60 years old. So I think that there has been a lot of renewed focus on elder abuse because of that population coming into their um, senior years. Um, the, the reality is that there's not a lot of really strong, good prevalence data. What we do know, according to the National Elder Abuse Incident Survey, is that elder abuse is actually about 85% of cases go unreported. We are seeing rising numbers of cases being reported, but we still have this huge gap of victims who are not reporting. Judge Leventhal, when a case or an issue involving elder abuse does make it into the court system, does it pose unique challenges? Well, sure. We have a lot of uh, stereotypes, I mean society, regarding ageism and, and the elderly, that they're imagining things, that they don't know what they're talking about. People sometimes confuse lack of good hearing with lack of ability to uh, credibility and ability to think and to be aware of what's going on around them. So that's a challenge not only to the courts but to uh, prosecutors, to lawyers who represent them. It is about power control. People don't want to live alone. People don't want to be alone. They want to be cared by a family member. So that's one of the reasons why it's less reported. It's a similar dynamic to domestic violence, but there's another layer on top of it. People with fear of, of living alone or being alone. They want someone to care for them. And, and the psychological and emotional trauma of not turning in a child 
who's taking care of them because it's their child and they love them or grandchild. It's, it's a, another dynamic mm-hmm. on the overlay of domestic violence. It sounds like these are complicated cases that sometimes touch on civil, sometimes touch on criminal issues. So where are you most frequently seeing these types of cases? Which types of judges and in which courts are you seeing these cases? There's two components. There's the criminal component and there's the civil component. And the civil component usually will be financial exploitation or someone needs a guardian, uh, needs either help with their property or their person to make medical and personal decisions for them. Then you also have the criminal component where someone is physically or sexually abused. So if you, I think the new standard could be if we could combine, have one judge who is schooled in both of those because and just coincidentally, I did guardianships at the same time I did domestic violence, and I thought that was a great fit. And I think that really is the future in this uh, in handling elder abuse. And it's, a, it's a really good point because in addition to that, you know, one of the things that we talk about is that these cases, because they're not being identified very well yet, they really show up everywhere. So someplace where they're, where they're showing up a lot is in juvenile delinquency because kids who are living w- with their grandparents will be, let's say, in juvenile delinquency court because of various things, but you'll see that the, the grandparent is being abused. I mean, it's really important, I think, for judges that are um, presiding over all different types of cases to learn how to identify elder abuse before them. Because what we hope, really, I mean, and I say hope, but is that that victims are going to come to a domestic violence-type court, like to get an order of protection or something like that, but that's not really um, where they're going to be popping up. I mean, they could pop up in probate court, you know, as I said, juvenile court, criminal court, civil court, family court, I mean, really anywhere, even civil sort of like small claims court. Guardianship. So guardianship. So it's really anywhere, so it's important for judges to be able to identify the signs. And there's also another stereotype that we omitted inadvertently. Uh, people think that the elderly can't be sexually abused, mm-hmm. uh, besides physical abuse, sexually abused, mm-hmm. and, and it happens. Uh, I've had cases where children have sexually abused their parents. We have a scenario in our presentation today where a grandson raped a 98-year-old 90, yeah, grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, there are cases where an elderly can be an abuser, a sexual abuser. It is, it's definitely sort of a, um, a misconception. Um, some of the things that we deal with um, at the National Judicial Institute when we give trainings on elder abuse, which um, Judge Leventhal has taught at the training, is um, to really help courts see that um, some of these assumptions that you make about elders, you know, one being that because you're of a certain age, you lack capacity to make decisions. It's a, it's a huge misconception. And the other huge misconception that's so common is the idea that because you're of a certain age, that you suddenly lose the ability to cause harm. So you have a lot of elder perpetrators that are in the court that are still maybe just started abusing a spouse, for instance, or have been abusing a spouse for 50, 60 years, and the courts won't potentially hold that person accountable in the same way they would if the person was 35 years old because suddenly they're 65 years old and they think, oh, this person can't do harm. The reality is how much strength or ability does it take to, for instance, pick up a gun and shoot somebody? Not very much. So it is something that we we sort of um, work to educate um, the judiciary about. So you you presented a lot of different, the kinds of, described the challenges I thought very, very well and painted a vivid picture. Um, have courts been responding effectively? Have they been um, 
picking up speed, you know, as there have been, has been more awareness and more of these cases coming to the courts. Have you, have you been pleased with what you're seeing? I think that in terms of elder abuse, the entire system is really behind. Um, most people that practice in this field would tell you probably 20 years behind the domestic violence fields, child abuse fields. But yes, I mean, I think there has been more focus on it. There's been some judicial trainings, law enforcement trainings, and prosecutor trainings nationally, um, which have been sponsored by the Office on Violence Against Women to get more um, of this on the radar. There are a couple of courts in the country that have elder abuse dockets, so I know in California, for instance, there is a judge that started an elder abuse docket there. In Georgia, there is a compliance review docket for elder abuse cases. So, so there are a couple. But in terms of it being really common or sort of on the radar, the way that um, domestic violence is now, def- definitely not. Still um, needs a lot more focus, a lot more awareness. And I think the best way to start that process is particularly for judges to exercise leadership in their court systems to really get these coordinated community response teams started the way that we have for domestic violence because that seems to be um, the most effective way to to enhance services and to get justice for for our elders. So let me ask you about that in a second, but let me just remind everyone that uh, I'm Rob Wolf at the Center for Court Innovation, and I'm at the annual conference of the National Council of Juvenile family court judges, speaking with Judge John Leventhal of New York and Attorney Jennifer White of San Francisco about elder abuse. Ms. White, you mentioned a coordinated community response, which is a term I think familiar in in the domestic violence world. What is it and and how would that apply to as a response to elder abuse? Sure. Coordinated community response, they they can be many, many different. There are many, many different kinds. There's some that specialize in, for instance, um, if you they have teams that will meet to deal with uh, particular cases, and then some coordinated response teams are more system-wide. So it's it's really meant to get professionals from the various systems that impact a case. So let's say the prosecutor's office, law enforcement, sometimes judges will be involved, advocates. For elder abuse cases, we hope to see aging services involved, protect, uh, adult protect, protective services, hopefully geriatric psychologists, psychiatrists um, are involved so that they can get together and look at the system and see how they can coordinate, communicate better to make service delivery smoother and more effective. And, and I think it's uh, our model in New York. I called it a partnership. You can call it a coordinated community response. We had the usual suspects, the DA's office, parole, probation. We had elder abuse uh, organizations. We had uh, aging uh, services. services, adult protective services. But you also had a defense bar. And the reason why that's important is because if the judge is going to be involved, it ha- you have to involve the defense bar. And it's very important when the judge takes a leadership role these kinds of things happen. Pro and probation will be more involved. You'll, have, you'll get more support than if you just do it on your own. So I thought that was very important. And I'm really gratified now that there's been more attention being paid, not only because I have a 97-year-old mother, but because when I started doing this and we would take elder abuse cases, as you know, the domestic violence uh, issues were raised by the women's movement, and the focus really then was on uh, intimate partner abuse. And elder abuse is kind of secondary or an afterthought. And now, you know, everyone has a, a parent, everyone's going to get old, and it's important. And I always thought it was important, I, thought that, I always thought there should have been more emphasis on it. And I was not only gratified that they were doing this, I'm gratified that I have an opportunity to take part in this training. 
Great. Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time to talk with me today. I've been talking about the challenges of dealing with elder abuse in the courts with Judge John Leventhal and Attorney Jennifer White. This podcast was jointly sponsored by the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges and the Center for Court Innovation. To find out more about the National Council, you can visit their website at www.ncjfcj.org. And to find out more about the Center for Court Innovation, you can visit our website at www.courtinnovation.org. I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Thanks for listening.